Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. The Judaism from which Christianity arose was a legalistic religion that sought to earn God's favor by observing ceremonies and keeping laws and such. It also held to an exclusive nationalistic outlook, which regarded Israel alone as the people of God, and that required non-Jews who desired to be identified with God to submit to circumcision in the Mosaic law and offer prescribed sacrifices. Now, the earliest Christians in Jerusalem, some of them anyway, seem to have held at least some of these views even after recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. Now, my friends, today you're going to hear a radically important meeting go down in Jerusalem that arose out of some of that tension. And what is affirmed is a useful and most foundational thing for us to remember. We must never abandon the gospel of grace and we must lovingly preserve the unity of the body. Happy Family Friday to you, and here comes episode 2098 uh, of us just going through the Bible together. going to be a little different over the course of the next number of weeks because I'm going to be on my extended honeymoon, but we're still going to read the whole thing word for word, dropping every day, and considering our own life and work stories in light of that, including something that often happens even in secular organizations and even families. We might agree on a what, on a principle, but disagree on the how, right? How we are to be faithful to that principle. Today's New Testament segment covers this most important and pivotal meeting of the early church where they, like we should, they didn't abandon the gospel of grace and, as you'll hear, lovingly preserved the unity of the body. Acts chapter 15, 1 through 35. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, saying, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in a serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up among them and said, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that 
neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. My friends, pause. That's a critical thing to remember about the law, the whole Old Testament, the Mosaic law and all that. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks, catch this, that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear, meaning we can't keep the law. It reveals our sin to us, but it doesn't, but we can't be saved by keeping the law because we can't save ourselves through works. Continuing. By putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Paul and Barnabas describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, saying, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with us, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, decided to select men who were among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers, and they wrote, From the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization, went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision, and ours, not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. And, my friends, that gets us up through verse 35 which is a good place to pause because we've got a little longer chunk of our Old Testament to get through. And I'm going to remind you of something we said a couple days ago. 
big picture with regard to Genesis, right? Genesis 1 through 11, primeval history. Genesis 12 through 50 is kind of a genealogical picture of the families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we've been hearing of Isaac's family line, even if his son Jacob is the one we've been hearing a lot about lately. And uh, I'll just point out, it's important for us to remember that genealogies were ultimately to establish and maintain the right of royal succession in Judah through the family line of David. We see that play itself out by the time we get to the end of Genesis, right? The belief that Messiah would come from the Davidic house made such records even more important as Israel's history unfolded. Now today, we begin chapter 37, which begins Jacob's family line, which interestingly is going to be a whole lot about his son Joseph and some rather well-known stories over the next few days. Genesis picking up in chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan, These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to his father. Now Israel, meaning Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a long-sleeved robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf stood up. And your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers and His father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had? He said. Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. And then Israel said to him, Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him to the Hebron Valley and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, What are you looking for? Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. 
So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save Joseph from them. He said, let's not take his life. And Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben intended to rescue him from them and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the long sleeve robe that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. And the pit was empty, without water. They sat down to a meal, and when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin, and they were going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph wasn't there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy's gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the long-sleeved robe to their father and said, uh, We found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but... He refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol with my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guards. Now at that time, Judah left his brothers and settled near an Adullamite named Hira. There, Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua, and he took her as his wife and slept with her. She conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and he named him Onan. She gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. It was at Chezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord put him to death. And then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife, perform your duty as her brother-in-law, and produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring wouldn't be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he released his semen on the ground so that he would not produce offspring for his brother. And what he did was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up, for he thought he might die too like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. 
After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. And when Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend Hira the Adullamite went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, veiled her face, covered herself, and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And he went over to her and said, Come, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me for sleeping with me? I will send you a young goat from my flock, he replied. But she said, Only if you leave me something until you send it. What should I give you, he asked. She answered, Your signet ring, your cord, and the staff in your hand. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. She got up and left, then removed her veil, put her widow's clothes back on. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolamite, in order to get back the items he had left with the woman, he couldn't find her, and he asked the men of the place, Where is the cult prostitute who was beside the road at Enaim? There has been no cult prostitute here, they answered. So the Adolamite returned to Judah, saying, I couldn't find her, and besides, the men of the place said, There's been no cult prostitute here. Judah replied, let her keep the items for herself, otherwise we'll become the laughingstock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been acting like a prostitute, and now she's pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said, and let her be burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. I am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, Examine them. Whose signet ring, cord, and staff are these? Judah recognized them and said, She is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her intimately again. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, and the midwife took it, tied a scarlet thread around it, announcing, This one came out first. But then he pulled his hand back, and out came his brother, and she said, What a breakout you have made. So he was named Perez, and then his brother, who had a scarlet thread tied to his hand, came out, and he was named Zira. And that gets us up through chapter 38. And we're just going to sneak right on into our wisdom segment today. Picking up in Proverbs 14 at verse 9. Fools mock at making reparation, but there is goodwill among the upright. The heart knows its own bitterness and no outsider shares in its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. And that gets us up through verse 12, and I love that last one because it reminds us that our hearts are 
hearts are deceitful. I'm going to read that again, and I'm just going to close with a reminder of where we started. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. My friends, you might recall that what we just got done reading in Acts was this argument about whether you could earn salvation or not. And even inside the church, there were people still going, oh, you still got to keep the rules in order to be saved. What's our theme today? We must never abandon the gospel of grace and must lovingly preserve the unity of the body. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.